Waters from Lake Mansarova connect the South Asian subcontinent through numerous river systems creating a geographical entity that has molded a unique regional identity. Today the South Asian region is facing numerous non-traditional security challenges that require regional solutions. The Mansarovar podcast co-produced by the Council for Strategic and Defence Research and Friedrich Ebert Stiftung India brings to you conversations with experts from the region. These conversations discuss critical issues and explore ways of addressing them better together. In this episode, Ms. Shravishtha Ajay Kumar, Associate Fellow at the Center for Security, Strategy and Technology at the Observer Research Foundation, hosts a conversation with Professor Rajat Kathuria, Professor and Dean, School of Humanities and Social Sciences at Shiv Nadar University. They are joined by Mr. Kazim Rizvi, a public policy entrepreneur and founder of The Dialogue, an emerging policy think tank with a focus on technology and strategic affairs. They discuss the importance of internet governance frameworks for countries in South Asia, cross-border data flows, and the harmonization of data governance legislation to govern data economy. Mr. Kazim Rizvi and Dr. Kasturya, welcome to the Masarovar podcast, where today we'll explore internet governance amongst the BBIN countries. Mr. Rizvi, why don't you start us off by discussing the importance of internet governance in South Asian countries and how the residents of these countries are impacted by such governance or the lack thereof. Thank you so much for hosting me today. So I think uh, the topic for the discussion is quite pertinent. And this is a topic which will never get old because more and more our reliance on the internet to carry out professional and personal duties is increasing. With every passing year, we are looking at the emergence of new technologies coming into play. And uh, we are also looking at automation slowly taking a center stage in the various services which we use and various sort of different ways the internet plays out. The question you asked me around internet governance and its importance in South Asia, I think not just South Asia, but the role of internet governance globally cannot be understated. And the fact that, I mean, we look at the evolution of the internet from the 1990s, where it was used as a service or for very select purposes, internet is now part of our daily life for almost everything we do, uh, right from recording this podcast to ordering food online or ordering clothes online or businesses or various networking and people meeting and chatting online as well. From that to governments operating online and people, citizen governance being carried out online as well, journalism, etc. So the reliance of internet is huge in terms of how we live our daily lives. And therefore, it's imperative that a strong governance framework, which is flexible as well and future-proof. I think these two terms are critical when it comes to understanding what should be the nature of internet governance and how countries have been sort of grappling with this in the last 10-15 years. What we are seeing is as with faster internet services, recently, you know, 5G was announced in India as well. With the devices which are collecting a lot of data, with services which are depending on collection and processing of data, as well as people assembling online spaces becoming sort of public squares, it's imperative that you know we have regulations which protect free speech, which are progressive in nature, 
which allows for businesses to prosper at the same time it protects privacy and data of the users and also making sure that we have the right frameworks to protect our cyberspace we are seeing globally and in india and of course when we look at south asian countries and the bbi and region as well the nature of warfare is also evolving and cyberspace is becoming a fourth avenue of warfare uh, so it is imperative that countries defend their cyberspace protect their cyberspace and also make internet a safe place for users to connect with each other i think these are some of the key principles around data internet governance and something which you know we've been hearing of late what we need is a trusted safe and secure internet i think that's something which even the government has been focusing a lot on and to get to that trusted safe and secure internet which is an open internet we need a governance framework which protects users protects different stakeholders protects the sovereignty of the country while at the same time allowing startups allowing businesses to emerge to grow and at the same time what we also need is an open internet which allows for free flow of data across borders which i think is very fundamental to how internet governance framework should be established now various countries in the bbi region are at various levels of internet governance framework of course i think india takes a leadership role when it comes to defining or identifying the scope and the way in through which internet should be governed and uh, i think we are seeing in india that we've had a very robust debate a very sort of nuanced debate public debate around what should be the framework for data protection or what should be the framework for protecting free speech etc and i think that also underscores the fact that because of these open debates in india it's clear that we have a very strong multi stakeholder engagement ecosystem which again is very critical for internet governance frameworks and in india we have seen this evolve it is at a very advanced stages as compared to other nations at least in the bbi and region i think we are looking at other regions which are playing definitely you know not far behind but i think where we need to go is to also now look at the emergence of web 3.0 the emergence of iot and the emergence of ai driven business models ai driven services the arrival of metaverse etc i think there we need to sort of start looking at what will be the future of internet regulation and how internet will be regulated and how these new services which depend on collection and processing of data even more intensely which are also more real time services services which depend on fast internet how do you ensure that you enhance the access of internet to people across different geographies within the country how do you make sure that you give them fast internet affordable internet india has been able to achieve a lot of these things already i mean we have around the cheapest data rates in the country we have very successfully deployed 3g 4g services we are coming out with 5g services but i think it will be important to maintain this momentum and also make sure that we arrive at some of these principles and principles of free speech data protection privacy cross border data flows has to sort of be laid down and then carried out as the regulations are evolved so we'll discuss this further but i think in my opening remarks this is what i wanted to focus on so you mentioned um, how india has taken a lead amongst the bbi and countries within its governance frameworks and how we've had a trajectory of growth from accessing different platforms to moving into the web3 and the metaverse could you maybe also add how um, we should look for inspiration or best practices to countries even india 
which has such frameworks and how these can impact other DBIN countries that may be lacking frameworks like this or have frameworks that are not up to par. So I think one of the examples which are quoted quite often is, of course, the general data protection regime, which is the European GDPR framework, which was established in 2018, which focuses on data protection and privacy. I think that's something which Indian government, Indian parliament, the joint parliamentary committee as well, when they published their report last December, looked at very closely. But at the same time, I think what we need to also understand is that we as a nation have to come up with frameworks which cater to our domestic ecosystems and cater to our own requirements and needs. There are great learnings from across the globe. The GDPR and Australia is doing a lot. Europe has come up with the Digital Services Act. The UK is looking at their own versions of the DSA and the GDPR as well. And you have the California privacy law as well. So there are some examples which are there in the global north which and in the Western countries which we can look at. But I think at the same time, we also need to be bespoke with what we come up with. I think our data protection law, while I mean, we have also sort of focused and spoken a lot about the need for an open internet a framework which allows for businesses to sort of access data. At the same time, it should protect the privacy of the users and it should protect it in a way where it is meeting the Supreme Court's privacy judgment, right? When it comes to collection, processing of data, etc., and how it should be used, how it should be processed and all. At the same time, what we also need is some sort of surveillance reforms where the while the government has legitimate right to access data, such requirements or requests should go through certain checks and balances, which we require, which we do have some of the other countries which I quoted previously. So I think it's important to look at various jurisdictions, but at the same time, come up with versions which we know that works with us and we understand that, okay, this is how a particular data production regime will work. How do we create a regime where our startups are growing and growing fast? How do we create a regime where we protect the interest of the consumers? How do we make sure that we allow the growth of technologies, new technologies? Like uh, how can we make India an exporter of AI? How can we build capacity of our developers? How can we ensure that the coders have the best knowledge and understanding? I think these are some of the questions which we are grappling with. And how do we have an independent data production authority? India is a very complex country. right? In many ways, you have different states and different geographies and different cultures, different ecosystems. So how do you have a central framework which also operates well within the states and within different parts of the country? So the DP is going to be a very interesting case study and whenever it's established, it'll be interesting to see what's happening. One point I want to sort of focus a little bit on is India is doing some certain things which is very interesting, like the UPI, which is again one of a kind system which is developed in India, uh, payment gateway, which is now being used by various platforms. And you have millions of transactions taking place. It's growing very fast and it's really cemented India's position as one of the creators of technology. Now we are coming up with ONDC. It's very interesting to see what ONDC will do. It's getting launched in certain parts of the country. It's still in trial stages. So we are also waiting and watching on what ONDC can do and what it can achieve. But at the same time, you know, it needs privacy safeguards, strong systematic safeguards to make sure that consumer interests are protected. And then we also have the example of Aadhaar, right? Uh, the digital ID system which we have created. So I think some of these case studies are interesting to watch out for. So you have the regulations, but you also have the technology being created in the country. I think with UPI, we definitely got to a level where 
other countries are now looking at UPI and trying to emulate UPI. We have the Rupee cards as well. So it's very sort of interesting to see regulation and technology. And I think with the new data protection law hopefully coming in with maybe, you know, what we are looking at when it comes to the new IT rules also, maybe the new IT Act itself, whenever it's passed, it'll be good to see what India can establish and what kind of inspiration it's taking. But I think fundamental principles of privacy, data protection, free speech have to be maintained, I think. And that's something which we have to make sure that the regulations provide for. Dr. Kathuria, Mr. Lisley just mentioned the Digital Services Act and talking about UPI, both which talk about private sector adoption and equitable private sector participation. What would your opinion be on any international best practices that stakeholders should adopt within the BBIN countries? It's difficult to say at this stage what an international best practice would be for data sharing across countries, even within a subgroup of countries like the BBIN, given that this regime is still evolving. But I think there will be some principles that one can sanctify, which is protection of national interest with free flow of data. Now, that could sound contradictory in the beginning, you know, when a person hears it for the first time, this could appear to be a paradox or a contradiction in terms. But I guess a best practice has to be based on protecting national interest while cooperating at the international level. And what that means really is a treaty where countries come together to agree on free flow of data, while some categories of data, for example, critical data or personal data, tends to be protected. Now, how that will be done is not an easy task. For example, the GDPR, which provided the benchmark for what a data protection regulation should be at one point in time when it was introduced. Four years later, the Europeans themselves are doing a study on what it has meant for them as an economy, as an economic union, what the implementation of the GDPR has meant for them, which means that has it been beneficial or has it involved economic costs? So I think what I'm saying is that one will have to approach this with a little bit of caution. I don't think there would be universally acceptable best practices, even more in this space compared to what you have international best practices in the trade area. For example, the WTO champion free flow of at least goods in a tariff-free world, etc. And that, to a large extent, we were able to achieve even though it took a long time. And in this area where you have a free flow of data as a principle, this will evolve over a period of time. We've had one example in the G20 last year when Japan was the presidency. Several countries signed the free flow of data with trust agreement, but India refused to be a part of it. And I guess India is still waiting for its own data protection laws to be passed in parliament. They were in parliament, but they've been sent back to the standing committee. So the personal data protection as well as the non-personal data protection bills have still to be converted into laws and acts. And when that is done, India will be much clearer in its method of joining global community on what the treaties on data protection should look like. So at this moment, to answer your question, I would say within the region, it is good to harmonize different policies, but it is difficult to do that in the absence of a domestic protocol or in the absence of a domestic law. So with respect to what you said, as you rightly said, there is a conflict um, between free cross-border data flows and 
even India's aim to hit one trillion dollars of economic value by 2025, and the same is true for most other countries. Do we then advocate for data localization, even if it is sectoral? And if we do, what does data localization mean for smaller countries like Nepal or Bhutan? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. Data localization has been talked about across the world and in different uh, ways, in different colors. It has so many different colors, and it varies by sector as well. And it will vary by the size of the company that is implementing data localization. And what I mean by that is, data flows are good for countries such as India, which have a competitive edge or a comparative advantage in processing that data. Remember, AI, the feedstock for artificial intelligence developed services is data. And if you have access to a lot of data, then you can actually create AI products, you can create AI services that then you can export to the rest of the world. And you can become just like you became call office center of the world, one can become the AI sort of processing center of the world or analyzing data. But for that, you have to have access to that feedstock that I'm talking about. You have to have access to that data. In the absence of access to data, you won't be able to leverage the competitive advantage that you enjoy in processing of that data, writing code, building algorithms, building insights into that data. So if we have to do that, then we have to be very careful about how we approach data localization. Because if you do data localization very intensively, for example, the way China has done it, then if there is retaliation, then we won't have access to the kind of data we need. One could make that argument, there's a lot of data available in India itself, and that data should be used by Indian companies. You use that nationalist argument that data is a national asset and we should allow it to be processed and used and localized for the advantage of Indian companies and Indians. That's one argument. You can make that argument because India will produce a lot of data, but there will be a lot of data that will come in from outside as well that you can process and earn foreign exchange. And you can become the processing center for data like you became the call center capital of the world. You can also become the processing center of the world. But that will require a nuanced approach to localization. You can't blanketly have a data localization approach. You have to do it by sector. You have to do it carefully. For example, in the financial sector or in health sector or in where critical data is involved, which affects the security of the nation, you can have more strict uh, data regulation. But for e-commerce, for other sectors, you can have uh, data stored in India, but you can allow it to be processed outside. So it won't be a single universal blanket data protection agreement that will serve the nation well. You will have to approach it by sector, by industry, and uh, allow for some export of data or uh, non-localization of data and insist on localization where it is very extremely critical. That way, there will be no retaliation, and then you can emerge and you can aspire to become a processing center for the world. And the other aspect which is important here is the fact that if you force localization, then you're also imposing an extra cost on companies that are small in nature. So for the big companies, localization will be a very minute cost. In any case, many of them would have done it on their own because they have so much businesses in India. But remember that your digitalization and IT and the one trillion aspiration that we have is not only going to be driven by the big companies, 
it's also going to be driven by and to a large part by the smaller companies, by the startups. And if you impose localization requirements on small and medium enterprises and micro and medium enterprises, then you risk sort of shutting them out from the market from the word go because the expense on data localization may be too high for them to bear. So the costs of data localization will not be uniform across companies. Of course, the larger companies, it won't matter to them. It will be a very small, minuscule part of their overall expense. But for smaller medium enterprises, it could add up to a significant amount. So I think one of the reasons why the data protection bills, both personal and non-personal data, have gone back for consideration to the Standing Committee is that some of these aspects require a little more thought and what the institutional structure also is going to be about the Data Protection Authority. All of these need to be thought out a little more before we pass them into law, because once passed as law in Parliament, it'll pretty much become irreversible. So it's important that we get it right. You can't incrementally change it once you implement it. You can change parts of the law, but once the edifice is in place, it becomes very difficult to change. So I would say that we need to approach this with a little care. We need to be cognizant about the economic costs that stringent localization will mean for the country. But at the same time, we should recognize that we have to protect our cyberspace. We have to protect against financial fraud. And of course, we also have to prevent uh, against cyber warfare, as is becoming quite common these days. Absolutely. And since we're already talking about the cyberspace and protecting citizens and organizations, How can we leverage uh, cooperation between the BDIF or any policies within the same country to protect the citizens from evolving cyber crimes, hate speech, disinformation, but also not limiting internet penetration across these countries? Dr. Kathuria, would you like to answer? I think you're talking specifically about the BBIN. And if you look at the BBIN, they already something which is being discussed at that level, at that platform, which is the motor vehicle agreement which will enable flow of goods and flow of people, people-to-people contact, etc. And if you look at the thought behind that is to have greater flow, greater integration of goods, greater people-to-people contact with the interest of building. Of course, there will be economic benefits, but also with the interest of building a peaceful neighborhood. And I think if you take that as an example or as an objective, then I think we can approach digital harmonization or data flows within the BBIN region to make it a safer place in the same manner, which is allow more people-to-people contact, have a harmonized internet. India can and will play the lead because these countries will always look up to India as they have in the past. Many of the laws and rules and regulations in the digital space in these countries build on the Indian practices and Indian laws. And I've experienced this myself in, for example, in the telecom sector in Bangladesh, which built a lot of its regulations and rules based on the Indian telecom regulations. And similarly, in the digital space, in the internet governance space, they will look up to India to try and build their own local rules and laws. As I said, protection of national interest will be paramount and every country will pursue that. But India can take the lead. And once having taken the lead and having free flow of information, data, and perhaps even digital trade within these countries of the region will provide for a sort of excellent way to create a peaceful neighborhood. And I think there can be 
exchanges, they can be platforms devoted to the digital space on how to harmonize our own regulations within this region. I would like to make a point here that this is not something which is new. There used to be what is called a mutual legal assistance treaty in this space, MLAT, across countries. Unfortunately, it hasn't worked well at all. And people don't have any faith in the functionality of that treaty, which means when I require some information from a cross-border space on some act of compromising of local laws that has taken place, and I ask for data, let's say from the US or from Europe, from the UK, the mutual legal assistance treaty should kick in. Unfortunately, that hasn't worked so well in the past. We can learn from that experience and bring it into this regional platform to say that we will provide information, there will be free flow of data, insecurity interests as well, which means that uh, our security agencies are willing to provide data to the security agencies of other countries, and likewise, other countries are willing to provide that data to us. And once that trust is able to be built, then I think uh, the platform for BBI and the digital platform for BBIN could work really well. And it's important we start small because including other countries, just like the SARC didn't work because we had a very large group of countries, including Pakistan, so no trust was created. Start with a smaller group of countries where trust is possible to do because internet will not work unless there is trust within the system or internet governance will not work unless there is trust in the system. Mr. Rizvi, if you can add to this and discuss how we can address the digital divide between BBIN and the rest of the world. First of all, I think when you look at digital divide, if you look at the internet penetration in India, I think we are now the second largest internet mobile users in the world, if not the largest. I'm still not sure about the numbers, but last time I checked, I think we have probably the second largest number of internet users and definitely going to be the largest internet users in the next couple of years. So why, when you look at internet access, what we really need at this stage is fast, reliable internet and internet which people are able to use and people are able to sort of maximize to their capabilities and potential. I think where the digital divide exists is possibly around the ability of users to maximize it for their benefits. I think proportionately, maybe we are, I don't know if we are behind or not, but definitely, you know, India is one of the largest internet users right now in the world. Even within the BBN ecosystem, I think what we need to do is, of course, you know, just continue to sort of grow from where we are. And other countries, I think as discussed by Dr. Kukri also, is, are taking us inspiration from India. So I think when it comes to access, we definitely are right up there. But when it comes to productive use of the internet and creating technologies, I think that's where there's a lot of catch up to be done as compared to the global north. But India is definitely on its way to do that. Just want to also sort of focus a little bit on the whole issue around when we talk about data flows, etc. I think one of the things which we have seen in India happen over the last five years is greater focus being paid on data localization. And there are various arguments provided for it. One of them is security that, you know, if you store and process data, personal data only in India, it's more secure. It protects privacy, etc. But what's happening right now is that, you know, if you sort of really store all your data in one location, you end up creating the honeypot situation, right? What you need to do is diversify your risk. When it comes to privacy, storage is less important. What's more important are the regulations around privacy and how privacy is safeguarded. Security and storage can still be interlinked. There are interlinkages, but privacy and storage, there are not established interlinkages. So how do we make sure that you know we cater to the 
sovereignty requirement or the sovereignty issue around data while at the same time making sure that you know we are able to allow data to flow across borders now why is that important why is data flows important i think one of the points which we discussed was around startups so you know we've had conversations with multiple startups and you know storing data across borders or storing data in different cloud service providers cloud services it's cheaper there are no services for them so just storing it within one geography will not help while at the same time you know when you look at startups or companies they create products for the globe they don't create it for one geography it's important to be able to aggregate data from different geographies to be able to come up with products and this is even more important when you're looking in the age of ai and when you need more and more data so again data localization will be an impediment to that so what we need are basically bilateral data transfer treaty between india and different countries where you can come up with minimum normative principles of privacy and security while making sure that indian data wherever it's stored is highly secure privacy of users are protected and i think that's something which where we need to move towards Thank you so much, Mr. Rizvi and Dr. Kapoorya. Your expert views on internet governance and the BBI and economy have been a pleasure to listen to. Thank you for tuning in. Rate this conversation on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. To stay updated, visit our website csdronline.org and follow us on Twitter at csdr_india. The opinions expressed in this podcast belong to the speakers and do not represent the organizational views held by CSDR or Friedrich Ebert Stiftung.